Welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast with me, your host, Andy Galliano. In this podcast, I share with turkey hunters just like you how to have more turkeys on your hunting property and how to have more successful turkey hunts. I teach you how to do this with tips and interviews with turkey hunting pros, wildlife management tips, and entertaining turkey hunting stories. Tune in weekly as I share proven and simple strategies to help you have more success this turkey season. Make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe to receive free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews. Also, please visit and like my Facebook fan page. Go to Facebook and search I Am Turkey Hunting. And also feel free to post your turkey hunting photos from this past season and let us know where and when you killed your bird. For all of you Twitter users out there, please follow me on Twitter where my handle is at turkeyhitman, and I will be sure to follow you back. And now, for this week's show. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode number 128, A Turkey Hunter's Struggles. And I am your host, who happens to be going through similar struggles right now, as I am in what I'm going to call a mid-season lull. It has been two weeks since I have sat down on a gobbling turkey. Now, the difference between this year's mid-season lull and last year's mid-season lull is that at least I'm hearing turkeys gobble this year. But just like that old saying... The grass is always greener on the other side. I like to twist that around a little bit and say the turkeys always gobble better on the neighbor's property because that's what I'm up against. Saturday morning, I think I heard six different turkeys gobble and none of those six were on my property. It's a little frustrating, but at least I'm hearing turkeys gobble compared to last year when I wasn't hearing turkeys gobble. That stinks. So I'm hoping that soon my mid-season lull will end as we are 25 days, 1 hour, 51 minutes, and 44 seconds away from the end of spring turkey season in Alabama. So I still have three tags to fill. I'm not worried about the numbers. I just like a good hunt. And over the past two weeks, I haven't had a hunt. But that too will end. I'm not worried about it. Hey, I've got a little different show for you guys today as I talk to Joe Casalco from New Mexico about his struggles chasing Miriam's turkeys there. But before I get you to our call, I want to read some reviews from you guys. So Lauber79 says, five stars, a great escape. This podcast is truly amazing. It seriously helps a guy that is obsessed with turkeys escape the depression of turkeys not being in season. The information is so extensive. Many, many, many thanks, Andy, for having the fortitude to keep producing the incredible episodes. You're great at what you do, and you and your work are a blessing to all of us turkey addicts. Lauber79, thank you so much for that. I really do appreciate those kind words. I also want to read one from FR27 Davis. 
He says, five stars, very good. Great podcast about turkey hunting, very informative, and can pick up tricks and ideas to make me a better turkey hunter. Thank you so much, FR27 Davis. MKB Burn says, five stars, feeds the passion. As a longtime hunter just getting into turkey hunting, I find this podcast to be very informative. I've been able to find topics that help answer some questions I have, as well as help explain some blunders I've experienced. A friend told me years ago not to start chasing gobblers because it would consume the mind. I think he was right. I know your friend was right there, MKB Burn. But embrace the addiction. That's all I can say to you. Oh, yeah, and thanks for leaving the review. I greatly appreciate that. So thank you guys so much for taking time to leave a review about the show. I appreciate that more than you will ever know. Okay, so this time of year, I tend to get more emails and questions from you guys who listen to the show about turkey hunting and turkeys than I do at any other time of the year. And, of course, that makes a lot of sense, being that turkey season has started for a lot of us or is coming in in our area very soon. Most of the time when I get those questions via email, I will answer those questions via email. Sometimes, though, it's just darn near impossible to answer via email. So I'll actually call the person who sent me the question to chat with them. Well, I actually received an email this past week that I knew was going to be too difficult to respond to via email. So I knew I had to call. But before I called, I thought that it might be a good idea to record this call for an episode of the show. I knew that if this listener was having this struggle and had these questions for me, then he couldn't be the only one to have this struggle and these questions. I know that to be a fact because I have experienced these same struggles myself. So I got permission from Joe Casalco who emailed me with questions and the struggles to record our call and play it for you guys. So, here is Joe Casalco from the great state of New Mexico. And before I get you into the interview, Joe's cell coverage was not the greatest. But, from what I understand, that's one of the joys of living in New Mexico. So, here's Joe to tell us about his struggles where he hunts. Hey everybody, I am glad to tell you that I have on the line with me Joe Casalco. And Joe is a fan of the show and a listener of the show. And he sent me an email a few days ago that really kind of raised an eyebrow. And so I'm going to read that email real quick, even though I've got Joe on the line. I feel like the email is worth having a conversation about to see if we can maybe get him pointed in the right direction and give some tips and hopefully help him tag a bird in New Mexico, which is where he is. So let me read through this email that I got from Joe, and then we'll get going with this thing. Good afternoon, Andy. I wanted to mention to you that I really enjoy your podcast and can't wait to try some of the different tactics mentioned on it this season. Recently, I've listened back on some new and old episodes attempting to get ready for the April 15th opener in New Mexico. On one of the episodes, you were planning your 2017 hunt, and I believe you ended up going with Arizona and Utah, which we did, by the way, which means New Mexico is still on your list. I wasn't sure if I remember correctly from that episode, but it sounded like your group was only aware of the draw turkey hunts in New Mexico, and there are special permit hunts that the large portion of the state has thousands of public land over-the-counter hunts as well. He says, 
Joe says, I also have sent in nominating Miriam's turkey hunting in the mountains as a subject for your show before. And I, Joe, I have that one written down. I'm looking for the right guest to cover that topic. Joe says, listening to the show, it seemed like this subspecies is supposed to be plentiful and easy to hunt. I have lived in New Mexico for four years now, and I'm originally from Pennsylvania. I've hunted three spring seasons here and one fall season. I did get lucky this past fall season, but I have had trouble with these birds in spring. It's as though the Merriams here look and travel like Merriams, but act like Easterns. That's no fun. <laughs> They're all. There also aren't many birds out here from what it seems, even though it looks like we had good poult survival this year. I literally live in the national forest that I hunt in, so I get to see and interact with these birds a bit. Even my dad came down to hunt with me last year with over 30 years of turkey hunting experience, and we couldn't get a single bird between us in the three days he was here. So I guess in short, I was seeing what tips you would have for turkeys like this, since they are some of the most difficult animals that I've hunted. Thank you for your time, and I look forward to hearing back from you, Joe Casalco. So, Joe, that's the intro that I have. That does not sound like it's a lot of fun to experience. Before we dig into it, how are you and in what part of New Mexico are you in? I'm doing great. I'm in the Santa Fe National Forest of New Mexico, so that's uh, slightly central north. Okay. Pretty much closer to, like, Albuquerque and Santa Fe runs by. one of the closer places to go. Okay. All right. How far from the Colorado line are you? Depending on what way I go, I can get there in three and a half hours. Okay. And by the standards of being out west, that's pretty close. Yeah. By the standards of the east and the anything east of the Mississippi, by those standards, that's not very close. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, it's a lot of driving. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So... You mentioned that you've had trouble with, with the Merriams where you are. I guess mm-hmm. I want to ask you, how long had had you been turkey hunting in Pennsylvania before moving out to New Mexico? Well, it wasn't really long. I mean, it was a few years, maybe four years, a couple morning hunts a season with my dad. And we didn't get as much interaction, really, so it has really been a lot of learning on my own. Um, I do get into birds out here. It's just trying to work them effectively, really. Uh, And then you only get your few opportunities, and then if you mess them up, then that's pretty much what you've got. So try to make those count is what I was getting at. That's why the the low population of birds out here really makes it hard, because when you finally get that one that might be trying to will or willing to gobble or maybe work with you a little bit, uh, if you play them wrong, that's it. Yeah, yeah. And you are hunting the National Forest, so you're hunting public land birds. And, okay, the birds that you're dealing with, are they hinned up most of the time? At the beginning of the season, yes. But it it seems like uh, I've had times where, like, one of the questions I was going to ask is because uh, even throughout the season, a lot of times they gobble on the roost for 15 minutes and they don't respond to shot gobbling very well. And then they get off the roost after that 15 minutes of gobbling and that's it. Okay. And is that something you experience all season? most of the season every now and then you get that one bird that he acts a little different but for the most part this has been the large majority of the birds that i've encountered even in groups where you have uh, three to five birds which is about the most i've ever experienced in terms of gobblers in a group okay and in the winter you mentioned that you had some success this winter or this fall are you seeing large flocks of birds I've seen them on private. The flocks that I was dealing with when I was actually hunting was no more than about 12 birds. Okay. Okay. 
So you don't, I mean, you mentioned in your email that the population is not just huge, but you don't have concerns about the population at all in the um, national forest. I mean, you're, you're, you're able to hear birds and get out and, and get on birds. Yeah, here and there, it just depends where they move to is really the issue. They they really change up as the season goes on. That's what makes it hard because you can you can stop for where they are early season, but it becomes difficult trying to figure out where they're traveling to as time goes on and they start to get some pressure. And yeah, pretty much what I've been having problem with as well. So yeah, that was one of the questions I had for you is you know how much pressure do these birds get? Are they hunted pretty frequently? Yeah, I look at the harvest reports and all that. And this area that I hunt is the second hardest hunted area in the entire state. The, the first one that has the most hunters is down in the Lincoln National Forest. So it definitely puts a damper on things a little bit. There's a New Mexico has a network of forest service roads, and that kind of grids everything out here and there. So it's really hard to, even if you, you can have some areas, you can get off the road a little bit if you're willing to walk. But for the most part, access is pretty good. So it gives a lot of people access here pretty much running into other hunters a good bit and especially on the weekends it makes it difficult to try and isolate yourself to an area where you've got a bird that hasn't been called to by someone else yeah and the weekends are primarily when you're hunting because of work no i get out in the mornings every time i can it's just to you know i depend on where i want to go it could be up to a half an hour but yeah uh, okay that's good i'm glad you're getting out a good bit as much as my legs can handle so <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So you're from Pennsylvania originally. What's What was the terrain like in Pennsylvania where you lived? Oh, uh, yeah, by the Appalachians I was at. So okay, all right. Kind of used to that. Yeah, all right. And your dad's been turkey hunting for 30 years. It came out there last spring, and you guys didn't have any luck, and it was pretty much the same issue. You were you were hearing birds on the roost. They'd fly down, and then nothing. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... You know, the first thing that comes to mind for me is that you are dealing with pressured birds, and that that may not be a earth-shaking or earth-shattering statement to hear since you're there and, and you, you know what you're experiencing. But I think that probably is driving a lot of why you're not hearing a lot of gobbling on the ground. And, you know, with the population being the way it is, I'm going to guess that you probably are not dealing with a whole bunch of hens late in the season, like maybe some areas that have a large population where there's a lot of hens to go around and a lot of hens that have to be bred and eventually go to nest. But what has the the past couple of years, what has the weather been like throughout the season? Has it been... uh, cold and have you gotten some snow during the latter part of the season for the past couple of years oh uh, you know the the first year I out where i didn't really know what i was doing the best gobbling i had and it was real nice and warm and then last year we had a lot of snow even into like halfway through may um opening or not opening the second day i was basically turned into a snowman sitting at the base of the tree mm. so yeah it does do that yeah and what is the predator population like where you You know, coyotes uh, really aren't that sick out here. We've got outlines here and there, but you don't really see them. Bobcats are around, but they kind of seem like they run territories, so I don't yeah. really ever see them. Okay. And then uh, black bears are needles and haystacks out here as well. Okay. All right. So 
one one thing that kind of comes to mind is that you may be dealing with is something that no one can control is believe it or not if you if there have been good hatches in the forest over the past couple of years that can actually make the hunting more difficult because what you end up having is you'll have gobblers who are hanging around with jennies all day every day of the season because the jennies are not real i guess keyed in don't know what to do with this whole nesting thing and so a lot of times they'll have nests because they don't really know where to to build a nest and lay eggs a lot of times they'll have nests that'll get destroyed a lot well the a jenny's nests are more likely to get destroyed by a predator or nest predator than say a, a three-year-old hen or a four-year-old hen who's been there done that and so if you've got a lot of jennies in the area they may not number one they may not be nesting and number two they may be trying to nest but having those nests destroyed which means that they're going back and and they feel the need to breed and hang out with the gobblers. And so if they've got hens with them, they're not gobbling. The other part of that is if you're getting these snows later in the year, later in the season, when the hens are trying to sit on the nest, that could be another reason why these nests are getting destroyed and the hens are going back to the gobblers at that point. And we all know if the gobblers have hens, there's really no reason for them to gobble, even though typically Merriam's like to gobble. And a lot of times they'll gobble even when they have 10 or 12 hens with them. So in in that case, if that's what you're experiencing, there's really not much you can do to overcome that other than trying to figure out their travel routes, trying to figure out what it is they're seeking out food-wise and where they're going, try to get there before they get there or cut them off from the from their roost on the way to, to that food source or whatever it is that they're in search of. From there, you know, it's just a matter of, of patience and, and maybe trying. You know, if you keep experiencing this and, and it is that they've got hens with them if, and that's why they're not really gobbling and not responding, one thing that you can try that's a little unorthodox, especially in the spring, is to bust that flock up. And I would recommend doing that in the afternoons or the evenings right after the birds fly up and try to separate that gobbler from his hens and give him the whole night to settle back down and think about how lonely he is throughout the night as well. And when he flies down, he should be gobbling a good bit to try to get some hens to come in to him. And that should make him easier to call at that point in time. Now, Again, that's a little bit unorthodox. It's something that we don't do a whole lot in the spring, but it's a common, as you know, a common practice in the fall to bust a flock and try to call them back in. And typically in the fall, you're doing it on the same day. I think by breaking it up and and trying to bust that flock up in the afternoon, it gives that turkey a a lot more opportunity to calm down and, and be responsive to calling the next morning. So that's something that you may want to try in addition to getting out and and you know figuring out their travel routes what you said in your email you know i think is spot on about Miriam's traveling so much and that does make it difficult it's not like you're in pennsylvania or alabama and you are hunting a flock of turkeys that's going to stay within a thousand acre area pretty much the whole season 
yes, they're going to move around a little bit depending on the where the hens are going to nest later in the season and that type of thing. But you, the turkeys are not going to travel. Easterns are not going to not typically going to travel three or four eight miles like Amerians will. Amerians won't even think about doing that. I mean, it is just second nature to them. So figuring out those travel routes, figuring out where they're going, figuring out those where those food sources are located is a little bit more difficult, I feel like, with a Merriam's turkey. But you do want to pay attention, too, to that snow melt. And as that snow melt moves up the mountains, typically you can locate those Merriam's pretty close to that snow melt. And that may be something you already knew, and that's where you've been finding them, but that's what they're doing. As all that grass and stuff greens up, they're, they're following that right behind the snow melt. So I don't know if that might help you being able to locate them or what, but the other thing that you're dealing with, and, and it's something we're 100% sure of, and that is you're dealing with pressured birds. And if the road network is real good and you're trying to get to an area that doesn't have a lot of pressure, sometimes that can be very difficult. And, you know, we even have public land areas in Alabama that have pretty good road networks throughout them, and you have a hard time getting a mile away from a road. So finding birds that are not pressured can be difficult. So in dealing with pressured birds, my advice would be slow down and call less frequently. Don't call quite as loud and be patient with those birds because they're going to take their sweet time coming in. I've, I've hunted Merriams on public land and private land and the private land. They just absolutely would run over you to get to you. You'd almost have to shoot them in self-defense. The public land that we hunted, the birds were a lot more cautious and much more wary and not quite as responsive as to calls as they were on the private land, which is what what you would expect. I mean, that's all in survival. If they're getting a lot of pressure, whether it's from humans or from other predators, they're going to be much more cautious. So, you know, that's that's nothing earth shattering either. But I think a lot of times, especially those of us who grew up hunting Easterns or have been hunting Easterns for years, we think, and we hear and we read, so we believe that all Merriams are easy to hunt. And they're still turkeys. They're going to do whatever they have to do to survive. And they're going to adapt over time. And as they get pressured, they're going to be quiet and not as responsive. Hey, thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the free portion of this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. In order to continue to bring you the best turkey hunting related content available, we have recently moved to a subscription-based show format. Each week, we will continue to bring you awesome content in a free 15 to 30 minute episode. But if you want to hear the complete episode for that week and every week for the next 52 weeks, then you will want to download the Podbean application to your device. That is P-O-D-B-E-A-N. And you'll want to subscribe to the Turkey Hunter Podcast premium content. The cost is only $12 per year and... 
$1 from each subscription will be donated to the NWTF to help support the organization that is helping wild turkeys and those of us who love to hunt them. So go to iTunes or to the Google Play Store. Download the Podbean application. It's free to download. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N and search for the Turkey Hunter Podcast. Your patronage and support of the show is much appreciated. Okay, I feel pretty certain that Joe's struggles are something that most of us turkey hunters have experienced at one point in time or another. If his problem is Jenny's, then really that's a good problem to have because we can assume there should be plenty of two-year-old gobblers running around there this season. If Joe's problem is not caused by Jenny's and it's gobblers being henned up all season long because hens' nests are getting destroyed due to weather and or predators, then that's not a good situation because he's competing for that gobbler's attention with wild turkey hens that, as we all know, and Joe, this is no insult towards you whatsoever, but we all know that those wild turkey hens are much better looking to that gobbler than Joe is. And in addition to that, having nests destroyed by weather and or predators is obviously not a good sign for hatches for the past few years either. You know, after listening to the call again, I really am still leaning towards hunting pressure affecting the birds where he is hunting and not having good hatches the past couple of years and the population being down. He's not seeing large numbers of turkeys on the land that he's hunting. And Joe, one thing that I failed to mention while you and I were talking is that you may want to try more afternoon hunting. You know, in the afternoons, the woods are generally not as crowded. And when you do locate a gobbling bird, chances are real good that that gobbling bird will be receptive to your calls. One other thing that has come to mind as well is that you may want to start marking on a map where you see turkeys on private land. Then take that map to the courthouse and have someone in the tax assessor's office help you look up the name and address of the landowner. Now, there are smartphone apps that can do the same thing for you. The good ones charge a small annual fee for their service, but it would definitely be worth it if you're able to identify a parcel and get permission to hunt it. Now, after you do identify the name and address of the owner, dress in your street clothes and go to visit them with your hat in your hand, of course. Also, with an offer to help mend fences, bell hay, tend cows, or even as a last resort, pay some sort of a trespass fee if they'll give you permission to turkey hunt their property. Assure them how respectful of their land that you will be and that you will not get off of their roads in your vehicle, that you will not leave any gates open or litter or treat their land any different than you would treat your own land. You may also want to remind them how nice it is to have another set of eyes looking out for their cows or their fences or their gates or just their land in general. Stress to them that you won't be there and gone if they give you permission. And that if they ever need another pair of hands, you're just a phone call away. Be prepared to offer them references about your character and even a liability insurance policy to protect them 
in case something ever happened to you while you were on their land hunting. And if you don't know where to find information about that, you can check out Outdoor Underwriters. They offer landowners liability coverage against claims by people who they let hunt on their property. So many ranchers in that area get bombarded with requests to deer and elk hunt their properties, but not many of them get bombarded by request for turkey hunting their property. You may be surprised at what you get access to. Worst case, you spent a little gas money and time and got to meet some new people. Remember, they will not kill you and eat you. And after all, I think that's probably the worst thing that would happen if you went and asked them permission to hunt their property. Now, I'm not telling you to give up on that public land. But what I'm saying to you is, if the population is down, and it kind of sounds like it is, then you need to increase your odds by finding other places to hunt. And why not try to find some private land to do that on? All right, Joe, I hope that that helped you. The rest of you guys listening to the show, I hope that that helped you as well. If you find that you're running out of places to hunt that have turkeys on them, remember I told you about my mid-season lull, then you just have to work harder to find more places to hunt. And personally, that's what I'll be doing for the remainder of this season and for the remainder of the year so that I don't have a shortage of places to hunt that have turkeys on them for next season. It is a constant challenge that we have to stay on top of. All right, so that is all that I have for you guys this week. But you know I'm going to ask you for a favor. My one favor is this. If you learned something from today's episode, then please click the share button on your podcast player. Most podcast players have a share button in the upper right-hand part of the app. Click that share button on your podcast player and text the link to this week's episode to one of your hunting buddies. It's easy to do. It's free. Standard data and text message rates may apply. Please check with your local carrier. And it is greatly appreciated by yours truly. All right. Thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. I know that you have choices. I appreciate you spending your time with us. I hope you have a wonderful week. And if you're turkey hunting, please be careful. And I look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.